Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Win Today podcast, an inspirational and performance-focused podcast that will inspire you to win today by connecting with amazing leaders and sharing amazing stories. You will learn from some of the most intentional, disciplined, and heartwarming people on the globe, people who will propel you forward and give you tools to succeed in any situation. My name is Ryan Cass, and I am your host. It is my purpose in this world to inspire people to establish a foundation for sustained success and chart a desirable course for life. Thank you so much for tuning in. In order to help us grow, I believe the best gift is to give back. And if what you hear resonates with you and helps push you forward in life, then please help us grow and reach more people by subscribing to the podcast, sharing it, and if you feel led, clicking one of those buttons that has five stars and writing a review. Thank you so much. Let's connect with our guest. What's up, everyone? Thanks so much for tuning in. This is episode number 37 on season two. As of the release date, we have 12 days left in 2022, which crazy to think about. It has been an absolutely phenomenal year for the podcast, had some incredible guests, and we're continuing to land some amazing people on the podcast and that is only going to continue. Already got a few really incredible people lined up in 2023. And I really appreciate all of the feedback that has been coming back, both positive and constructive. I take everything into account. So please keep that up. The intent with this episode is to mash up some of my favorite pieces of wisdom for you all. And this is coming from various guests that I've had on and things that I believe have been most useful from what they said so that you all can take that into the new year with you. A lot of these nuggets of wisdom that have been dropped are things that have stayed at the forefront of my mind, things that I've since implemented in my life since having the opportunity to hear from these amazing people. So I will introduce them right before their segment pops up, and then we will go ahead and and hear from them. I'm going to lead off with my friend Lauren Widrick and something that I implemented from her, which is called the happiness sprint. And the happiness sprint is something that you set time aside for during your week, whether it's a personal activity with yourself, going for a walk, doing some self-care, even getting a massage, spending time to go to a coffee shop, but scheduling something for for yourself that makes you happy. Before I called it happiness sprints, I just had a weekly reminder in my calendar to schedule some sort of personal activity. But I like the touch of a happiness sprint, and it's something that I incorporated right after this podcast episode with Lauren. So let's 
check it out and learn from Lauren. Yeah, I'm going to go back to something that you mentioned in the beginning, happiness sprints. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to talk more about that because that's something that just let, made, a, <clears throat> made a light bulb go off in my head. Are you familiar with the Agile methodology? Yes. Okay. In so manufacturing, yep. Yeah, okay. So I learned about it in the world of technology as well. Mm-hmm. And the long story short of Agile is you can't plan for outcomes a year from now. The world will change and you'll have new insights. So instead, you create a a loosely held vision mm. and granular next steps. And at the end of each sprint, you reevaluate and make your next granular steps. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is way better than being like, we're going to design a piece of software and two years later, we'll give it to the users. Well, (sighs) the world has changed. Right. You've discovered things in the process. So in your weekly sprints of I'm going to work out and I'm going to make these sales calls and whatever your goal oriented stuff is, what are you going to do? That's fun. Mm. Those pleasure goals. I mean, I have a coach, Jessica, holding me accountable to this right now. Every single week, she's like, what are you doing? This litty titty. That's my phrase for fun. Like what lights you up? Right. What's going to excite you? So Coming here today, getting out of my house. This morning, I went to the infrared sauna, nice. which I sat there for 30 minutes alone with no kids, like, you know, refreshing my mitochondria or whatever. Like, what are you going to do each week that's for pure joy, pleasure, rest, recovery, et cetera? And then mm-hmm. you only plan it one week at a time because you don't know what you're going to need. Mm-hmm. You can't say every week I'm going to go to the infrared sauna. Right. I don't know if I'm going to need that in two months. Right. So it's very iterative. It requires you to act, reflect, design, act, reflect, design. Like you just go through the cycles. I'm going to rename a reminder that I have in my calendar now as happiness sprint. Because every Monday, so my big, the big thing, if you look at my goal board, one of my top priorities is self-care. I used to be the worst at self-care. I mean, the worst. Like I came out and started working for Boeing and figured, hey, Got to pump out 60, 70 hour weeks, move up as quickly as possible and grind, grind, grind. And I've learned that one, there's no trophy for spending the most amount of time in the office and you, <laughs> then you become, it's expected that you become the 60, 70 hour guy and, yeah. then, and then responsibilities start going on and on and on. So the story I tell is I didn't take a real vacation, my first real vacation, Lauren, until three years after I started working and I'm not proud of that. Ooh. But I went to <laughs> I, but I went to Hawaii for my birthday in 2018. So I guess my 25th birthday, and that changed the whole game. Good. So, Good. but so now what I do is every Monday, I have a reminder in my calendar. It comes up at four o'clock, and it says personal activity, and that could be and just put something on the calendar later that week, whether it's take Izzy, my dog, take Izzy to the beach, or mm-hmm. go play golf, go something something for me but i'm gonna call it a happiness right now i love it so much cooler (laughs) yeah um, jessica my coach coo has a dashboard set up for me in a tool called notion Mm -hmm. and so it's a true like task work tracking dashboard and we have a pleasure tracker Mm. and so in there i am to track what i'm grateful for so the gratitude practice is very important to me i do that every morning it's Mm -hmm. how i start my day and what are you doing for pleasure And sometimes days go by and I say I'm going to do something and I don't do that thing because it gets busy and you can feel it. Mm -hmm. That's how you start getting burned out. Mm -hmm. And so I always say burnout is not working hard. You and I both love to work hard. Mm -hmm. It's when you're working hard without pleasure and or there's no end in sight. So it's such a beautiful and simple tip from Lauren. And that's why I put it first because of all of the 
mashup that you're about to listen to, I believe that this one is the easiest to incorporate into your day-to-day. Take time to schedule an activity, at least one, every week that is going to bring you joy, make you happy, and happy by your definition, and you will see lasting effects all across the board. So thank you, Lauren, for your awesome tip, happiness sprints. The next person that we are going to hear from is Steve Magnus. Steve is a New York Times bestselling author of the book, Do Hard Things. He is a former coach on the United States national track and field team. He has worked with several Olympians. Steve himself is an amazing runner and has a long history working amongst the most storied athletes. I really loved his book, especially being a runner myself. But this tip that he talks about with creating psychological distancing is a phenomenal mindset hack. And it's something that I've incorporated in my day to day, primarily with running and physical fitness. However, I do see the applicability of psychological distancing with anything else in life. And psychological distancing in a nutshell is creating a different voice because sometimes our voice can overpower so many things, but someone else's voice can push you to continue. So where this kicks off the conversation we're in, we're talking about my experience qualifying for the Boston Marathon and miles 22 and 23. I know a lot of voices were in my head. It was, I was struggling and then broke through in mile 24 to ultimately uh, qualify for the Boston Marathon. Check out Steve. Mile 24 ended up actually being my fastest mile of the race this time around, this go around. And I believe part of that was actually because of a tip that I, that you talk about here, creating psychological distance, talking to yourself in switching from I to you. So I want you to talk about, you know, how can you calm that inner voice? Because we all have that. And that's again, physical or even in business. If it's almost like you have that demon on your shoulder of, I don't know, man, don't know if you can do that big project or take on that big task might be too much, or don't know if you could hit these paces, these next four miles. And then you start thinking, so what are some of your tips to calming that inner voice? And then also talk about the concept of uh, psychological distance, because I think that's just next level hack. I absolutely love it. Yeah, no, I, I, I love this one too, because it's so simple, but it's so profound. Oh yeah. Which, which is our inner voice often spirals and you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's not only physical things, it's psychological things, mental things, business things. Anytime we experience stress or uncertainty, the, the voice goes negative often. Why? Because it's the way our, I like to think of it. It's the way we can consciously, our, our body can consciously kind of communicate with our mind and tell us what to do. So we, we default to safety and security. We have these negative voices because it's like, well, 
let's slow let's so slow Ryan down so he doesn't you know get it hurt or have to go in the ambulance again. That's why that negative voice is loud because it knows danger is possible in this moment. So what we have to do often is kind of like remind ourselves or dislodge our kind of spiral. And one of the great ways to do that is create what's called psychological distance, which is the more distance you can create between like your inner voice and feeling like it's, it's you and it's part of you and it's control, the less the emotional impact will have. Mm. And what happens here and one, there's two, there's two quick ways to do this, which is one is the one you mentioned, which is changing your inner voice from first person to second or third. So from I to you, for example. And when you do that, think about it. Our, our voice is almost always I like I can do this. I got this, you know, all that good stuff. When you change it to you or even third person like Ryan or Steve, what happens is you now your brain is now hearing a different voice mm-hmm. and it almost makes it like pause and be like, wait a minute. Like, why is he staying saying, come on, Steve, you got this. Like, this is weird. Like, where's that voice coming from? And because it's a little different, it almost dislodges us, creates that distance, turns that emotional response down. And mm-hmm. the other kind of hack that also works is that if you go from inner voice to outer voice, and I know this sounds weird, but if you talk to yourself out loud, the same kind of process her- happens because what's going on is, you know, again, your brain's like, okay, I'm used to this inner negative voice. Well, if you start talking to yourself out loud, it's almost like, wait, where's that coming from? Like, who's, te- <laughs> who's telling me this? I guess I should pay attention to this. Yeah. So you end up paying attention to that out loud voice. And often, you know, people are like, well, I don't want to talk to myself. I'm like, great. But you know, the thing you can do is talk to a friend or colleague or someone you're running the race with and tell them the things that you want to hear to yourself. So if you're running a race with someone and you pass someone, be like, you know, come on, man, come with me. We've got this. Well, yeah, you're talking to that person, but what you really do is, is communicating with yourself. You know, your voice is picking that up as well. So I think there's some wonderful ways where we, that are very simple, but are also research backed and very effective for getting out of that, like kind of doom spiral that we often get in. Do you remember the things that you would tell yourself in the middle of a race? You can say it on here. So mine, like I'm constantly when I'm, when I'm running, especially doing my hard runs, I don't always remember what I say because I'll just get in the moment, but I, I guarantee you, or actually I know because some people that I've, some of my friends or even people I've seen at the grocery store see me run and I'm pretty, I'm very consistent on my route and my times and everything. And they say, I see you running. You look like an absolute madman, like yelling at the wind or whatever. <laughs> like, and usually I'm like, let's fucking go. Like you got it. Like you got to go. Come on, baby. Or I kept telling myself with the Boston, with the Boston race, I'd be speaking my speaking it into existence. I kept saying Feb, I kept saying Ryan Cass, April, you know, February or March 26th, Boston qualifier. And I was yelling that out. I mean, at the top of my lungs. And then I remember that mile 22 to 23 at Wilmington or 23 going into 24. 
those voices in my head are getting louder, that negative voice. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you got to fucking go. Like, <laughs> you're fucking qualifying. Because my parents, they were, I didn't know they were coming to the race. And they surprised me on mile 12. They were following the whole time. And I didn't notice them until mile 12. Because when I'm running, I'm so dialed in. You could be right next to me and I won't see you. Mm. And I passed them on mile 12. And I told myself, like, you're fucking qualifying. And then mile 24 that same place where I passed out, I'm like you fucking, you got to go. And I'm, I'm hitting my chest like a freaking <laughs> gorilla, man. Like I bet and these, and the little, I, I don't actually, I don't feel bad about this. It was just, you know, passionate about it. Yeah. But the two little girls work in the water station. I was like, man, they probably think this guy is an absolute <laughs> lunatic. Like there's the 2550 is a freaking nutcase, you know, but, <laughs> but it works, man. It, it does. I, I love that. And, you know, to be honest, so mine is all over the place, but pure brilliance from Mr. Steve Magnus, psychological distancing. Again, something that I experienced to be pretty simple, not as simple as Lauren's happiness sprint, but changing the voice in your head. You've got this. You've got the, more gas in the tank. You can make it through these next three miles, not, man, I've got three more miles to go. You can push through this tough day. Oh, man, I've got a few more hours to go. No, you can push through this tough day. You're going to do it. The next person that is on the list is the mental toughness coach, Chris Doris. Chris is branded as the mental toughness coach. He has worked with some of the brightest minds in the world, including several Olympic athletes and Fortune 50 executives on, guess what? Their mental toughness game. And mental toughness is more than enduring things physically. Mental toughness is something that can allow you to unlock everything that you desire and enjoy what is what is, what is present, what is here right now. And Chris has had an interesting career. He got started as a social worker in Philadelphia and as a social worker, wasn't making a whole lot of money and he's always loved sports. So he was looking at sports psychology programs, goes to Arizona State University. And for those that love sports, Arizona State has historically had phenomenal programs all across the board, most notably, or one of the most notable with their golf program. Several PGA Tour professionals have come out of there, including Phil Mickelson. And what Chris wanted to do was serve as a mental toughness coach for golfers. And a lot of people had told him, well, you got to wait in line, buddy. You got to get your PhD and start off with some lower tier sports like bass fishing or ping pong. And then if you do well with that, you can get up to golfers. So he's, he's, he's confiding in one of his good friends and she gives him two powerful questions to reflect on. And it changes the course of his career. Rather, it creates his amazing career. Two reflective questions that I believe everyone should have in their repertoire. 
So I'm saying this to her and she's like, she waits till I'm done venting. And she asked me the first of the two most brilliant questions. First one is, what would perfect look like? And I couldn't, I, honestly, I couldn't hear her. What, what I heard because of my conditioning and my whininess and my tiny puny little thinking was, I actually thought she asked, of all the shitty options on this list, what would suck the least? <laughs> it was so far from what she was asking. You know, so, so, you know, and she just stood there. I'm like, I don't want to do any of those things yet. And she's like, CD, God, bless it. She's like, I just, what would be the best case scenario? And I'm like, you know, meaning like in a perfect world? She's like, that's what I said. What would perfect look like? I'm like, all right, well, if you want to like be unrealistic, like what would be perfect would be if I could work with the men's golf team, like be the mental toughness intern for the men's golf team here at ASU, which is like the best men's golf team in the world. And as soon as I finished saying that, I added, and what would they want with a a non-contributing zero like me with none minutes of applied practice? I'm just going on. She's like, God. And then she asked me the second brilliant question. She goes, why don't you just ask? And I was like, oh, you're so pretty. You don't get, it's D1, T. It's D1. Division one, these like these programs are unbelievable. Like they they're not going to experiment with that. It makes you know it's, they're worth so much money and all that. And she just held the ground. Thank God, she just stared me down as I go into all my jibber jab, my weak sauce, right, my my puny, weak thinking. And she just stood her ground, staring me down, waiting for my answer. Why don't you just ask? And I, I saw her staring at me. I know she really needs me to answer this question. And I thought, I thought to myself, to be, if I'm going to be honest with you, the reason I wouldn't have asked up to this point is because I wasn't even entertaining it as a possibility. You're making excuses in your head. I, I wasn't, no, I wasn't even or, there. Not even I there yet. I wasn't even considering it as a possibility to make excuses and not do it. So then I said, now that you got it out of me, you got my truth out of me. What I would love to have happen now, if I don't ask, is because I'm a damn coward and I ain't gonna be that. Mm-hmm. That's a good job. So I asked, and it worked. I asked. I went to my my supervisor and said, "Is this even? Would this even count? If that if I could pull that off, would it even count?" He goes, "It would count. I just can't be your supervisor. You have to get if if you can get the coach to say yes, then you need to go find a PhD, a licensed PhD who's got you know proven applied work in this area." You know, and I said, so I pulled the, so you're saying I got a chance. So, you know, I, I, I went to the coach and I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I'm walking down the hall in the ASU football stadium. That's where all the, you know, the coaches' offices are. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Bill Frieder. He's a basketball guy. I only ever see him on TV. And then there's, you know, the football coach. And I'm like, oh my God, it's all these famous coaches. And I'm all nervous. And I get down there, whole thing. He's like, the guy is so nice. Uh, the late great coach Randy Lyon. He loved the idea. He's like, "Sounds great." I'm like, what, "Did you did, did you hear the part where I have like no experience?" He's like, "Let's start with the freshmen. If it goes well, open up the whole team." 
I ended up, and then I just found uh, this guy, this supervisor, or this PhD guy in the clinical psych department. I just walked over there, started asking questions. And I'm like, yeah, go ask him. I think he did that before. And I asked him, the guy's like, oh, I would love to do that. I'm like, this is the easiest thing in the world. It doesn't always work like that, but it does sometimes. Mm -hmm. The best case scenario can happen sometimes, and it can happen fast. I do my internship at the men's golf team. Never been done before, which kind of confused. I can't believe nobody ever did that before. But anyway, there's never a mental coach for the men's golf team. It went so well that the coach ended up hiring me for 10 years. I never got a PhD. Uh, fast track, straight to – so these guys are so good, right, the guys on the team, that they all go – not all of them, but most of them go pro. Now I got all these clients on the PGA Tour. It was the – these experts told me, you need your PhD. You're going to need to start working with bass fishermen. It's going to be blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, really? How are you doing? And I'm not saying this to be, you know, to, to brag. I, I love the story. I'm proud as hell of it. But it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for T, for Teresa. Mm -hmm. Okay? So I'm giving her plenty of damn credit. Uh, the point is, right, the takeaways, to summarize all that, is – don't believe limiting advice that you get. Okay. Stay, keep your mind open, listen, but be a little skeptical if people are trying to put time between you and your desires. Okay. And, and I don't care who it comes from. I don't give a shit. I don't care who it comes from. Okay. And defer or, or, or make it your practice that you operate from the assumption that you can have precisely what you want and you can have it fast. It doesn't always work, but start with that. Mm-hmm. Right. And get clarity on what it is that you want. Right? You can't have what you want until you know what you want. So get clarity. Ask, answer, ask the questions all the time. What would perfect look like here? What would perfect look like here? What's the best case scenario? And take immediate action. That's amazing. Two questions. What would perfect look like? And why don't you just ask? Who would ever guess that by asking those two questions that an entire career, or as Chris will actually call it, a vocation can be formed. He calls what he does now his vocation. But it came as a result of those two questions being asked. And that's something that I often think about now and ask myself and ask others when I'm working with clients and working with people about what they want to create in life. We have the answers. You have the answers. You know what you want. And even if I'm working with you, you know where you want to go. I may have the tools to help pull it out of you, but you can pull a lot out of yourself by asking, what does perfect look like? And whatever that thing is or whatever those things are, why don't you just ask? Have you asked the people for that job or gone and asked that person out or asked for a new opportunity anything. Why don't you just ask a funny one, but this works for me. <laughs> what would be perfect for me just to make this simple is when I'm flying because I don't buy first class tickets uh, to what would be perfect would look perfect would look like having a first class seat or business class seat. Why don't you just ask? So before every flight, I go up to the counter and I always ask, hey, curious if there's any business class or first class seats that nobody wants. And usually the answer would be no, especially because I don't have even a, a comfort ticket or sometimes I'm just a basic economy ticket. 
But many times I've been bumped up just by asking the question. I know that might be silly, but a very simple response to what we just heard from the mental toughness coach. I'm going to wrap this one up with a recent episode with Lindsay Walter. Lindsay is an ultra marathon runner based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and she has a interesting gift that if you didn't have a mindset like hers, you might not believe it to be a gift. And that is that Lindsay has alopecia and she has had alopecia since she was two years old where she lost all of her hair and through her youth, you know, went through a lot of struggles where, you know, she would wear a wig uh, to avoid being made fun of. And eventually she got to the point, you know, once she discovered running and building a tough mindset that, you know what, I'm going to embrace this. And alopecia is one of the best things that has ever happened to me. And from the outside looking, looking in, you'd be like, well, how could something so negative be so positive? And I want you all to take note of this beautiful response from Lindsay. How would you advise someone that's going through a difficult situation, whether it's their alopecia journey or anything adverse? Mm -hmm. How would you advise them to view it as a gift? I would say first, there's kind of two things that I would say. First, I would say that it's okay to not be okay. You know, when something happens to you, it's okay to immediately not feel super grateful about it. And just, you know, like God gives us emotions for a reason. And so, you know, alopecia or not, you know, losing your hair, like whatever it is, if you need time to just like cry about it and like feel all your feelings, like your feelings are valid. And I think that's really important. You don't always have to put on a brave face. And I think, you know, sharing your vulnerability and like why it makes you upset is really important because it does also help you to recognize that, but then also to see it as something positive, but you also have to recognize that, you know, it can be a negative thing and to not let yourself spiral into that. You have to just, you know, be very aware of your feelings. And so that's the first thing. And then, yeah, just looking at it as a gift, like we choose our attitudes every single day and, you know, it's not what happens to us in life, but how we react to it. Of course, there's going to be like bad days and like bad seasons and, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, stuff is going to be hard to deal with. And you're going to have days, like I still have days where I'm like, Oh, this alopecia, like this kind of sucks. Like this is really hard. But also like, I'm like, wow, I have like so much going on in life. Like I'm alive, I'm healthy. I get to run marathons and ultra marathons. And I just have so many incredible things. Like I'm not going to let my alopecia control me. I'm going to see it as like this huge blessing and gift that it is and focus on so many other positive things because alopecia is what I have, but it's not who I am. And so just like choosing to kind of see the glass like half full and, you know, again, like it's your attitude, it's your life and you should make it the best and most positive one instead of like letting it spiral into something super negative. Man, how can you not find the positive after hearing that and seek to constantly identify the positive with anything in life and look at it from a standpoint of how is this making me better? Or how can I benefit from this? How can I profit from this situation versus, man, look at this thing that's happened to me. 
things don't happen to us. Things happen for us. And to be able to say something like that and believe that requires having a, a strong mindset. And one of the easiest ways to form a strong mindset is seek the positive and be consistent in that belief and in your actions. And that is one thing that will help form a strong mindset. This has been a lot of fun doing this mashup. And when I first started working on this, I figured, hey, I'm going to put 10 of my best episodes all in one. But then I realized, no, that's going to then take several hours and I am being intentional about keeping episodes around an hour time frame so they're easily digestible in one sitting. So this is going to serve as part one. There will be a part two nuggets of wisdom from other amazing guests. So let me know what you think about this one. Part two will be out before the end of 2022. It's my desire that... Y'all take these nuggets that were just bestowed upon y'all and incorporate them into your life because, again, all of them, every single one of them, simple in nature, varying complexities to implement, but simple in nature. Nothing shared here was rocket science. These are things that personally endorse and utilize now in my life, and that's the mission with the podcast to inspire you to win today by connecting with amazing leaders and sharing amazing stories. And what we just heard there were amazing tidbits that you can take that are going to help you win today and continue to prosper in life. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you for part two.